Well, look, it's been a handful. It's hard to point to one specifically. You know, you want to have confidence in the pocket. You, you, you know, we need to find ways to get guys open. Um, you know, and, and typically speaking, that has to happen uh, efficiently on, on early downs. It can't be just on third down. Um, so that, that's one of the things that, that we've discussed here, you know, early today and, and looking at our past list and drive starters uh, and making sure that that we find a way. Obviously, on first down, you're going to be mixed runner pass with your sequencing. But, um, you know, the, the feeling after that game was just simply, you know, we, we've got to be able to throw it better uh, to, to win in this league. And, and that wasn't directed at any one player. That was directed at all of us on offense. That was Sean Payton on Monday rehashing the Broncos' week six loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in which Denver passed for only 95 yards. And as Sean Payton said, hey, this is on this is on everybody. It might have been the worst efficiency game of Russell Wilson's career, certainly as a Bronco, but there's a lot of things that we have to do in order to get this passing attack and therefore the offense rolling in the right direction. Welcome everybody into a fresh episode of the Not Another Bucking Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Kosmiter. Um, our producer Matt is is uh, behind the scenes there, getting us getting us sounding good this week. And um, we're going to have a guest in just a little bit. Uh, my colleague at the Athletic, Matt Schneiman, who has uh, covered the Packers uh, for us for the last uh, several seasons. Excited to have Matt uh, on board to talk with us about this game on Sunday, a Week Seven matchup between the one and one and five Broncos, excuse me, and the two and three Green Bay Packers, who are coming off their bye. So both teams pretty well rested given that the Broncos had played on Thursday night, um, a game in which both teams are, you know, trying to figure things out, especially, you know, offensively for, for the, for a large part of the season for the Broncos, the story has been its defense, but this is a, what have you done for me lately league? Well, this defense is starting to perform uh, better and particularly performing better in the red zone. And that's, and that's helped keep them in games. And in the meantime, this offense has gone through some really dreadful lulls. Um, as we mentioned at the top, the passing game has has been a really issue. The Broncos are um, really struggling with protection. Some of that is on the offensive line. Mike McGlinchey, the uh, marquee free agent signing, has has been charged with five sacks, which was uh, tied for the uh, second in the league going into Week Six to, to the rest of the Week Six games. Um, and and so that's that's been an issue. Russell Wilson holding the ball longer. Um, you know, a larger percentage of his pressures are turning into sacks. Um, the sacks are coming later in the progression. Um, not able to, you know, kind of get out, get out of the pocket the way that he he has in the past. That's that's been a problem. He's on pace to be sacked even more times than he was last year when he took a career high, 55 of them in 15 games. So that that is something to watch for the Broncos. The other big thing before we get into our conversation with Matt um, is the trade deadline. And, and Sean Payton said, "Listen, we are taking calls when they come, and and certainly we know that that some of those are coming. We that, that it's been reported that teams like the Colts have made calls about Jerry Judy. Um, you know, there's there's been buzz around these wide receivers for the Broncos since the off season. Um, Jerry Judy is coming off a game in which he caught three passes for 14 yards. He has not got it going, um, you know, to the degree that he did at the end of last season, and um, just certainly seems to be." you know, pressing in that role that, that the chemistry with he and Russell Wilson has been hard to come by his fit in this offense in particular has been hard to come by. And it is starting to feel like a sort of a start over a change of scenery for Jerry Judy. Um, 
is is imminent. Um, now, again, we there, there's not anything solid out there that says a deal is in the works, um, but that will continue to be a storyline, um, you know, through this game. The, the Broncos play two more times before that trade deadline. This Sunday's game against the Packers, and then the following week's home game against the Chiefs. And then from there, the Broncos go into the bye. So that, you know, theoretically, there's those early days in the bye week to to really kind of look at your roster, understand and evaluate where you're at, and then decide whether you're going to make any moves. Um, again, I, Jerry Judy is the one player to me that I, I see being um, a, a real possibility to, to get traded. That's not to say there's not other targets out there. If a team desiring safety help that's contending really makes you a splash offer for Justin Simmons, and as we've said in the past, you know, if that's something you feel like Justin Simmons is searching for, um, you know, th- that's something you consider. But again, I, I, I don't think this is going to be a fire sale for, for Denver as much as fans like the idea of just getting rid of, you know, clearing more roster spots, clearing cap space, you know, adding draft capital no matter where it is. It's just not the way that it works at, at the trade deadline in the NFL. You just you just don't see that happen. Deals don't get done that frequently. Now, the Broncos have already made a trade. They traded Randy Gregory to the San Francisco 49ers for a late round pick swap. They tried to, to trade Frank Clark. There were no takers. So they just released that veteran outside linebacker. So we already know that they are open for business. Like that, that that's already, that's already occurred. Um, but it's, it's the, to the degree that they're just going to trade anybody that's on, you know, uh, has no guaranteed money left on their contract or is on an expiring contract or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, I, I just don't see that, that happening. Um, last thing I want to touch on before our conversation with Matt is where the Broncos are with Russell Wilson. Again, he is coming off um, his worst game of his career in terms of EPA per dropback, and that, that's a measure of efficiency on a snap by snap basis, adjusted for opponent and other variables. Um, you know, the, the true media statistic that is is sort of the the overarching view of efficiency for a quarterback was the worst game of of his career in that regard against the the Kansas City Chiefs and. He, he now, he really has to show that, that that was something of an aberration, that he can get back to what he was earlier in the season, um, you know, which was showing improvement from his 2022 disaster. It was, it was being more, more accurate as a passer. It was um, kind of handling the pressure a little bit better than, than he's shown the last two weeks in which, you know, just sort of these early escapes out of the pocket, kind of scrambling toward an area of the field where there's not a lot of receivers in the progression. Uh, and you've seen the results of that. It's it's a, it's a much lower completion rate. It is more sacks. Um, it's the turnovers that have been happening over the last couple of weeks that have given the Bron- that just put the Broncos behind the eight ball. Um, again, I, I I don't have any sense that that they're they're just going to bench Russell Wilson, um, you know, in the immediate future. But again, we we've talked ad nauseum about the decision they'll have to make going forward uh, with with his contract and a guarantee that comes due. Uh, early in the in the league year in 2024, um, and just sort of have to kind of understand where where they're at, and, and we will see as the season goes on whether that's a decision that they ultimately make in terms of sitting Russell Wilson down, seeing what they have in Jarrett Stidham, the, the backup quarterback who Sean Payton has said, listen, we think this guy has upside starter potential in the NFL. Um, you know, do we want to get a look at them? And then, of course, you have the, the reality of where the Broncos are. They're one in five. They're, they're tied for the second worst record in the NFL. Uh, over at the Athletic, Austin Mock, our, our kind of draft um, kind of data projector, um, he has he has the Broncos picking fourth right now in the draft. Uh, 
Deontay Lee, our, our, another one of our draft experts in his, his mock draft um, today ha- had them had Drake may fall into them at number four in, in that order. So that's another part of the equation that is, if the Broncos really are selecting in that spot, then, then, a, then a rookie quarterback is a real lot, real possibility for them going forward. So again, it's a continued week by week analysis of where they are at the quarterback position, both in the near term and the long term. Um, with that, let's go ahead and get to our conversation with Matt Schneidman. All right, now we're well, ready to welcome in our guest to Not Another Bucking Podcast, Matt Schneidman, my colleague at The Athletic, who has done a great job for several – what year are you in now covering the Packers, Matt? Five. This is your five. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought I thought you were about the same as me. This is my fourth year. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're a little bit, little bit in the same there. Um, Matt, thanks for thanks for joining us, man. How are things in Green Bay? They're good. They're interesting. You know, us as reporters, we always want you know interesting storylines. And listen, the team's not as good this year, but it's still interesting with a new quarterback. And man, do we have a riveting football game to cover on Sunday in Denver? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, you know, Packers last I checked favored by favored by one. Um, yeah. You know that. <laughs> speaks to Denver's 0-3 start at home, 1-5 start overall. Um, Packers, though, coming in um, off of a bye. And, I, and I'm curious, both these teams are going to be pretty well rested. The Broncos had played on Thursday night, um, so a couple extra days rest for them. What was the focus for, for the Packers coming off, um, coming off the two straight losses, one of the Lions, and then the Monday night game against the Raiders? Yeah, I would say it's starting faster. Over their last three first halves, they haven't scored a touchdown. Against the Saints dating back to week three, they did not score in the first half. They were down 17 nothing with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, came back and won that game. Um, first half against the Lions, they only had three points. First half against the Raiders, they only had three points. So they haven't had Aaron Jones in a full capacity in any of those three games. And you know, not getting the running game going has put them behind the sticks in a lot of get-back-on-track situations, you know, second and longs, third and longs, where they have to pass the ball. And and they're not playing complimentary football on offense. So getting off to faster starts, maybe scoring a touchdown in the first half would do them well. And getting that running game going, I think, is a big emphasis. I don't know if Aaron Jones is going to play. You know, he played 20 snaps against – so he injured his hamstring in week one against the Chicago Bears. Didn't play in any of the next two games. Played 20 snaps against the Lions in week four. Had a setback, went back to not playing against the Raiders, and he practiced on Monday uh, coming off the bye week. And we're recording this around 11 a.m. Central time on Wednesday right now. Packers begin practice in about an hour. So we'll see if he's practicing again, but getting back their best offensive playmaker is uh, bound to help them, I would assume. Yeah, it, yeah, you would you would think so, especially with a with a young quarterback who's, who's trying to get his command of the offense. And, uh, you know, obviously – Jordan Love had three touchdowns in each of his first two games, uh, two combined touchdowns in the game since. Um, you know, is it is it just all part of the the overall learning curve, the overall learning progression um, over the last over the last few weeks? Teams getting a little more book on him. What, what do you what do you kind of see as the things that, that he's got to kind of show going forward? Yeah, for sure. He had a couple boneheaded mistakes against the Raiders on Monday night. Like if you look at his first interception. I think it was play action and he literally just stared down the linebacker Robert Spillane and threw it right to him like the, the, and if Spillane didn't pick it off the guy behind him would have picked it off it was just one of those things where he didn't get his eyes up uh, he didn't even see the linebacker so it's stuff like that he's got to fix that 
you know, I hate to make this comparison, but you never really saw Aaron Rodgers do that, at least the later stages of his career. I believe in Aaron Rodgers' fourth career start, he threw three interceptions. So maybe Jordan Love's on track to be a Hall of Famer as well. Listen, I, I think people might have been a little bit deceived by his hot start to the season. Now they're like, oh, why, why isn't he throwing three touchdowns and no interceptions every game? But if you go back to what Mark Murphy, the Packers president and de facto owner, since they don't have an owner, um, said in late July before training camp opened, he said, the defense is probably going to have to carry us for the first half of this season. And that's kind of been true the last couple of weeks. We knew all along that this offense was going to have some growing pains. I mean, their most experienced wide receivers are Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, who are in their second year and both missed stretches of time as rookies because of injuries. Their top tight end is a rookie. You know, their running backs are, are the veterans, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Their offensive line has experience, but their best offensive lineman is out for the year. David Bakhtiari, the five-time All-Pro, played yeah. one game this year. Might be done as a Packer. So they have a 2022 second-round pick, uh, or not second-round pick, I should say, second-year player, seventh-round pick, starting at left tackle right now. So there's a lot of youth. These struggles are expected, maybe not as much as they struggled against the Raiders, but nobody expected it to be an Aaron Rodgers-led operation here in Green Bay this year. So given that, did, did people sort of, because I know nationally got some buzz when Jair Alexander said after the Raiders game, hey, I guess we're just going to have to not mm -hmm. allow a team to score any touchdowns. But was that there? It, it was just kind of speaking what you outlined with Murphy from the very beginning of like, it's not a knock on them. They're still learning, but but we understand kind of what it is right now. Yeah, it was one of those things where the tone of the quote can get lost over Twitter if you're not there in person. Yeah. And Jair always keeps it real. God bless him. He's one of my favorite guys to talk to in the locker room that I've gotten to know over these last couple of years. And it wasn't taking a shot at the offense, more so trying to hold his defense to perhaps unrealistic standards because he knows the offense is struggling after his quote of maybe, you know, we're just going to have to not allow teams to score touchdowns. He said, you know, the offense is young. They're still finding their mojo. We need to be more self-critical as a defense and maybe ask more of ourselves. So he was really just saying, we understand the offense is going to struggle a little bit with so much youth on that side of the ball that we need to, you know, pick up our end of the bargain and play better than we have. And listen, that's a fair expectation to have, probably a little unrealistic, but they have eight first-round picks on that side of the ball. They have not been consistent enough over the last three years under Joe Barry as defensive coordinator. Maybe that is how the Packers are going to have to win games, and there's a chance they do it. There's a chance they hold the Broncos out of the end zone on Sunday, considering how, how the Broncos played on offense last Thursday against the Chiefs, but Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos win. That's just where these two teams are at. Anything can happen. Yeah, I would say the same thing, a, a total a total coin flip. And, you know, what you're saying about Alexander reminds me of so many quotes we heard from Justin Simmons over the last several years where it was just Future like, Packer, future oh. Packer safety, according to the blogs that I've been reading. <laughs> yeah, the, the blogs have a lot of interaction between the, the Packers. I, I, you know, Bill, Bill Barnwell had his theoretical trade over at ESPN. Um, I think it was Dobbs and a second rounder for Jerry Judy and a fourth rounder, which I don't see why the Packers would do that. When you look at, when you look at the fact that Judy and Dobbs have almost a identical stats this year, Dobbs has been in the end zone three times. What, what do the, do the Packers have uh, right now, like a desire to go out and get another wide receiver? Or are no. they just kind of going with these young guys? No, they're just going to go with these guys. You know, Brian Gutekunst said all off season, 
that he wasn't going to add a veteran because, you know, hook him up to a lie detector test. And the general manager is going to say that this year is more about building for the future than winning right now. Sure. He wants to win now, but winning now, I think is a bonus as this team and specifically this offense changes so much. If he didn't bring in a veteran wide receiver, say a Jarvis Landry or a whoever, Kenny Galladay, whoever you want to say in any of the waves of free agency, he's not going to do it now. Now I know Jerry's a little younger, but I really don't think the Packers are going to do anything at the trade deadline. Um, I'm assuming they win on Sunday and get to three and three. Maybe they don't, in which case maybe they sell off some veterans if they're really out of it and lose these next couple of games before the deadline. But if they really view this year as the first chapter in building for the future, they're not going to want to give up future draft capital and they're not going to want to give up one of the cornerstones of their offense in Romeo Dobbs, who is their most reliable wide receiver. I don't know why you would want to give him up. So I don't think that trade or any trade for that matter is going to happen. Yeah, that one was a head scratcher because <laughs> he's he's younger. He's on a cheaper contract because he's a fourth round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any team acquiring Judy now has to has to pay the, the fifth year option that's guaranteed because the Broncos picked it up back in March. You know, people here want want you know, go, go trade Jerry Judy and, and get a second round pick. And I just like th- that deal is not out there. Um, you know, I don't think I'm going to be, I'll be surprised if they get anything better than a fourth rounder for him at this point. Um, right. But the Broncos are in that same, same category. If they, if they lose on Sunday, they'll drop to, to one and six, obviously completely, um, you know, every way, but officially out of the, out of the playoff race at, at that point. Um, what intrigues you then about, about this game? Is it, is it part of it is when you, when you have a young quarterback, there's, there's kind of that intrigue every, every week in terms of what steps he's making. What, what are some of the other things that interest you about this game on Sunday? Yeah. I mean, it's just that unpredictability, you know, the Packers in years past used to have bye games. I know you're a basketball guy in college basketball, like Gardner Webb will go to Kansas in the non-conference and play a bye game because they literally pay to play Kansas for the national exposure called a bye game for Kansas. They're supposed to win. Like the Packers have had games that feel like that in years past. This would be one of them if they still had Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. They don't. So it feels like anything can happen. And it's more intriguing as a reporter because you don't know what's going to happen. The unknown is intriguing. And I'll be fascinated to see whether the Packers come out and did get some things fixed over the bye week because you know, they had the Thursday night game against the Lions to the Monday night game against the Raiders. That was almost like a bye week. Still couldn't get anything yeah. figured out on offense. Now they have the actual bye week. If they can't get anything figured out on offense, specifically in the first half, this city's going to go up in flames. Like, it's going to be code red, press the panic button, fire LaFleur, Jordan Love's not the guy, all that jazz. So I like the overreactions, partially because I have my own radio show now, so the callers are, are way better <laughs> after a loss. I'm not saying Absolutely. I want them to lose. Um, I don't root for anything. But I think the Broncos intrigued me last Thursday in that, you know, the theme for the first five weeks of the season was, okay, their defense is garbage. Their offense is, you know, carrying the team as much as, you know, this offense can carry a team to what was a one and four start. But then their defense played really well against the Chiefs and their offense wasn't. So, like, I don't know what to expect from the Broncos. And Greg Williams, the Packers' first-year defensive passing game coordinator who was, I believe, the DB's coach in Arizona the last four years, has gone up against Russell Wilson a handful of times when he was in Seattle. And he said, you know, I'm not letting my guard down at all. Russell can still make plays. He can still make plays, you know, off schedule. 
we got to watch where he is. He's, he said he's not quite a Lamar Jackson, but he can still move around and you got to contain him. So I would not, like I said, I think the Packers win, but I would not be surprised if the Broncos win this game, um, which is why I think it's intriguing because this one's kind of unpredictable to me. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, if the Broncos fall to 0-4 at home and 1-6 overall, um, you know, at that point, Sean Payton is going to have to signal in every single way that he can that this was all supposed to be a, right. a rebuild. But I think that the thing that, you know, that he got himself in an issue for, and I want to ask you about that, the Hackett thing in a second, but when you come out at the beginning of the year and say, I'm going to be disappointed if this is not a playoff team, and then you are now nowhere near that that category, you've, you've sort of put that target on yourself. And I think he's he's starting to feel heat a lot quicker than people probably imagined, even even if they didn't think that this was necessarily a playoff team. Um, and, and part of that was not only did he say that about his own team, but went out and just like yeah. filleted the Jets, filleted Nathaniel Hackett. And as somebody who covered Nathaniel Hackett, covered Aaron Rodgers, covered Billy Turner, a lot of the kind of the players and the drama around this, I just I, I got to go back and uh, try to get a sense of what your what your reaction was when you when you saw that go down in late July. Yeah, sure. Like you can think one thing and listen, Sean's done this a while where he doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting caught up in all this nonsense. But why would you give anyone that sort of motivation? We saw it kind of backfire when the Jets beat the Broncos a couple weeks ago, but I didn't really understand the motive behind that. Like, what are you trying to do? If you say that was such a poorly coached team, and you have even an inkling that your team is going to stink, which the Broncos do, it just makes you look worse. You know, if Nathaniel Hackett's team was that bad, then what's this? What kind of coaching job are you doing? So that's what confused me because it's not like he's a first-year head coach who doesn't know how to, like, control the perception around him. This seemed to be an ill-advised move. And beyond that is, like, just against coach code, I guess. You know, Aaron Rodgers was on McAfee yesterday talking about, Dan Campbell and how former Packers interim head coach Joe Philbin, who's one of Rogers' favorite coaches, when Dan Campbell kind of, you know, stepped into Joe Philbin's role in Miami a while back, he had some unsavory things to say about Joe Philbin and the job he did. And Aaron said, you know, that that didn't rub me the right way. It doesn't rub people the right way when coaches trash other coaches after they lose their job. So I didn't really get why Sean did it, and it certainly has backfired. And, you know, credit to the Jets. They used it as a rallying cry, and they've kind of turned their season around. So it's really not yeah, worked out in any single way for Sean Payton. Right. True motivation like that against an opponent is, is sort of hard to conjure in the NFL, like yeah. a reason to just really, really go after somebody. You just don't see it. And, you know, to, to, to just sort of lob that softball um, to them in what was a close game, and, and maybe maybe there was an edge to it. Um, yeah, really, really puzzling. Um, but again, I'm, I'm with you, Matt. I'm intrigued by the fact that these are two teams that, um, you know, both, both need, both need to win. Like fans here, everybody that they, they want the, they want the crash for Caleb, the, you know, the destroy it all for, for Drake, whatever, whatever dumb adjective you want to use for it or, or moniker you want to use. For it. But that's not the way that like players ever view this thing. Like, and, no. I, and I try to get that across as much as I can that like, once you're out there and you're playing a football game, there is no tanking. And, and these guys want to win. You tank if, if that's your true plan by by doing what the Cardinals did this offseason, not really signing anybody in free agency, getting, you know, getting rid of some of their better players. And then maybe you do it a little bit more at the trade deadline. But in terms of the actual game, 
um, it, it never works out that way. So it's two teams trying to figure some things out. I think it'll be, I think it'll be an intriguing game, if, if not a fireworks laden game. Yeah, I mean, GMs can quote unquote tank by not, you know, putting their team together to form a contender, at least on paper. But coaches and players can't because the second players stop giving 100% out there, they get injured. And that could yep. cost them their career. So players can't tank. Coaches might be able to, to an extent, but why would they either? They're coaching. For, coaches have to perform in the immediate way more than GMs do. So coaches can't. So this tanking, I don't, I don't really buy it. You like you said, the Cardinals kind of with with how they constructed their team. But then again, they came out and played hard. Sure, they're one and five, but they kind of played hard this year. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens on Sunday. Excited to get back to Denver. Haven't been back, I don't think, since when I covered the Raiders back in 2017, 2018, when I when I took a couple trips to Denver. So I haven't really? been back okay. in a while. It's it's been a hot minute. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you on, on Sunday, Matt. Um, you know, thanks thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, man. My pleasure. Appreciate it.